What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the All Things Croatia podcast. I'm your host, Stan Kozovac, and I'm bringing you the best of Croatia from around the globe. This episode is brought to you by Adriatic Tours, the best place since 1974 to book your cruises, tours, flights, and simply all things Croatia. Use the personalized code ALLTHINGSCROATIA to get a special discount and book your trip to Croatia today. For more information, go to www.adriatictours.com or click the link in the description. Now eat the modalje and let's get started. Alright, welcome back to the podcast everybody. Today we have a very special guest, Mitch Juvalo. Mitch is the son of George Juvalo, one of the greatest Croatian and Canadian boxers of all time. Uh, George has numerous accolades, including five-time Canadian heavyweight champ and never being knocked down in his 93-match career, including in fights against Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, and George Foreman. Mitch is now a teacher and public speaker, sharing his own struggles and triumphs, as well as stories about his father. And in this episode, we're going to learn a little bit more about both him and his father, George. Mitch, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me, Stanko. Nice to be here. Yeah, and I appreciate you uh, being patient with some of our technical difficulties <laughs> earlier. <laughs> we made it. We made it. We made it. You know, funny story before we kick things off here, but my dad actually interviewed your dad back in the day for the uh, Croatian radio program back in L.A. that my dad was a part of. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's <laughs> Such a crazy, I guess not a coincidence, but, you know, interesting that now here I am interviewing you. Oh, that's wonderful. And and do you know what year that would have been, Stanko? Like I'll have 60s, to ask him. 60s, 70s? No. Yeah, okay. Probably 80, mm, I guess 80s. Or 80s, okay. I don't yeah. even know actually how old my dad was when he was involved in that. I would think maybe early 80s, maybe late 70s. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. That, that's a great piece of information. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'll have to ask him and, and get back to you with that. But just to kick things off, Mitch, can you talk a little about, you know, your you and your father's Croatian heritage? You know, so your father was born in Canada to Croatian immigrants, right? That's right. He was born, my father was born in 1937. Uh, his parents uh, came from uh, a small little place in uh, Herzegovina called uh, Proboy outside of Lubeski. Uh, and to my understanding, uh, well, I think my grandmother came from the, uh, the adjacent village, not from Proboy itself, uh, and I don't know what that is. Uh, but uh, my grandfather, Stepan Chuvalo, and my grandmother, uh, Kata Kordic, who became Kata Chuvalo, of course. Um, my grandfather uh, came to Canada in 1926 and left his uh, uh, bride, who he'd only been married for a short period of time, like a couple months, uh, left his bride and came to Canada and didn't get reunited with her uh, until uh, uh, 10 years later, in 1936, because of uh, the way the world was back then and the capacity to make money. He brought over um, uh, his brothers first and so they could make money. And then once he had the financial wherewithal to bring over my grandmother in... Uh, 1936. Can you believe that? Ten years apart. Uh, my dad was born shortly thereafter in 1937, and my aunt Zora in 1938. So yeah, it was you know a, um, economics uh, played a large part. Uh, my grandfather um, uh, had a um, an interesting life. He uh, he fell off a. If I'm going to get into this a little bit because it's um, really um, a story as to why we we're in Canada as opposed to staying uh, in Croatia or in Herzegovina. Uh, my grandfather fell off a donkey when he was 
so, you know, a Magaratz when he was uh, uh, six years old and he broke his elbow. So uh, his parents took him to the only educated, learned gentleman in, in uh, the village and said, you know, what do we do with little Stepan, father? They took him to the, the priest and the priest said, and, you know, this, this kind of tears at my heartstrings. He said, don't fix little, little Stepan's arm. That way he won't get drafted into the army. So wow. can you can you imagine my grandfather at six years old going to bed at night, knowing that his arm would not be fixed the rest of his life uh, in order to ostensibly keep him out of the army? Well, he got drafted into the army anyway. That's the crazy thing. And, and, and you know, he, he did uh, some time uh, basically working as something akin to the to the Red Cross. Uh, but then after that, I mean, I, I think he had uh, because of that a, a, a troubled relationship with his parents and he wanted to get out, and uh, he, he came to Canada in uh, 1926. He worked in the mines in Nova Scotia. Then he uh, built the roads in, in a very famous national park in Canada, Algonquin Park. Then he went down to Windsor, Ontario, which is close to Detroit, uh, and uh, worked in the meat packing plant. And when they switched their operations from Windsor, Ontario, to Toronto, to the west end of Toronto, to the junction, uh, Canada Packers uh, who, uh, and Swifts, who did all the meat processing, the abattoirs in, in uh, the West End of Toronto? He worked there for thirty-three years, and uh, and I actually I actually um, used to work there in the summer times when I was doing my undergraduate work at university. And I'll always remember, if you want to understand my my family history, uh, a gentleman came up to me and he said, "Are you a?" Uh, they, in Canada, they don't say chuvalo; they say chivalo. Are you a chivalo? And I, I said, yes, I am. Now, I thought he was going to talk, of course, about my father, who was the athlete. He says, uh, my first two years of working here uh, were the last couple of years of your grandfather's time here. And I got to tell you, he, he was the best worker of all time. He used to come in 45 minutes early to sharpen his knives. Uh, who, can you imagine going to an abattoir 45 minutes and sharp? And like I worked in there in the summer times and you can imagine the smell, the noise, you know, just, just, the, it was, it was a crazy place to work. And he would go in early and sharpen his knives every day. And then here's, here's the crazy part, Stalko. And this tells you about work ethic, right? Which is, I think, you know, uh, uh, endemic to the Croatian experience, like hardworking people. He, he would on his, um, on his holiday, his week holiday, he would go in and watch the two poor guys who were taking the place of him on, on the killing floor, like uh, uh, taking the hides off cattle with knives. And once he realized that they weren't going to outwork him and his, and his job was no way, shape or form in, in jeopardy or threatened by, by being outworked by a couple of people, he would then go relax for four or five days. <laughs> so that, 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 that tells you the kind of environment that, you know, fighters are born in, right? <laughs> that kind of yeah. mindset, right? So, yeah. So I, I, I love my grandfather. He was, he was a stern man. I was always semi-afraid of him. In fact, more <laughs> afraid of him than I was of my dad. But, but um, I mean, in terms of the Croatian uh, uh, immigrant experience, I mean, uh, he came to Canada and, and, uh, um, and, and he always, he loved, he loved Croatia, don't, uh, being Croatian, and, and uh, he was a proud Herzegovac too, but he always would say Canada gave him the opportunity, right? So um, uh, roots, roots obviously in the homeland, but he, he appreciated his life here. And, um, you know, that, that, that's basically the, the Chuvalo story in Canada in terms of its origins, its origin story. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, those kind of stories are consistent, you know, throughout the diaspora throughout the 
Croatian immigrant, you know, experience or emigrant, I guess, um, you know, hard workers. I mean, that's, we would say a workaholic now, you know, today about your grandfather. That's crazy going in on his vacation just to make sure he's not getting outworked by the other guys. Yeah. And, 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 and that he was such a storied figure inside that, that, you know, that manual, hard manual labor inside uh, the abattoir. And that he, a gentleman came up to me. I thought he was going to talk about my dad. but And then I got I got a sense there in terms of family history of, of how highly regarded he was by the other people there. You know, in fact, in fact, um, back in the old days, they used to issue a, you, you a check every two weeks. And my grandfather, who was a strong union man, a union representative, lucky he was because uh, the foreman uh, or the manager, whoever it was, was, was playing with him. So they, instead of giving him the check, he kind of pulled it back like, you know, he was playing with him. Like, like oh, you're not going to get it. And my grandfather knocked him to the ground. And, yeah, I'm going to tell you what he did with his with his steel-toed boots. And they were going to fire my grandfather. They were going to fire him. But because he was such, you know, a good union man and a hard worker, you know, they basically said to the foreman, don't mess with Steve. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's not a guy to be messed with. And apparently he even he – even, um, he, he tried, he went to a boxing gym a couple of times when he was in Canada, but because of his, uh, you know, restrictions with it, with his arm capacity, uh, mm. no one ever took him seriously. And, and, um, how my father got into boxing, uh, you know, because it's all about, I think that boxing and sport in general is a lot about fathers and sons. Uh, there used to be, um, uh, the outdoor fights in the summertime in Toronto at a stadium that no longer exists, Oakwood Stadium. Uh, not far from uh, the abattoir where my grandfather worked. And he used to take my dad to go watch the fights. And uh, he, uh, after watching uh, a couple of fights, my father and my very young father at the time said, Hey, Ta, I think, I think I'd, I'd like to try that. I'd like to try that one day. And my grandfather says, Ah, uh, you get a bloody nose you, in his beautiful Croatian accent. He says, Ah, you get bloody, you get bloody nose, you quit, right? So, um, <laughs> it's like he, the rest of his life was proving to, in some way, in some ways, oops, sorry about that. In some ways, he was proving to his, uh, his dad that he was tough enough to do it right so it kind oh, of that's crazy, interesting yeah crazy relationships right you know but yeah. because but that, he he was then you know became known as one of the greatest chins in boxing you know never never being knocked down yeah so. and, 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 and i've got another story uh, pursuant to that that kind of tells you about the mindset my grandfather was a stern disciplinarian obviously and at the dinner table it was just like you know you just eat, right? No, there wasn't, they, you know, foods on the table. Like, let's get down to it. Like, not like, hi, how you doing? How was your day? None of that stuff. My grandfather, eat and leave the table. And if you wanted to talk, you talk later, but you didn't talk at the dinner table. So my father and my, uh, pardon me, my father and my aunt were, would continue to talk. And uh, my grandfather uh, would get, you know, upset and make them go downstairs and kneel on raw rice and pebbles until they promised to be quiet. So Jeez. when you think about my father developing a pain threshold, right, mm. that, which you need to be, a, you know, a, a, a world-class fighter, you have to have some ability to handle pain. He started pretty young in that regard. <laughs> and, and so, so a lot of my father's experience, a lot of, um, you know, the origins of the, of the Chuvalo family in Canada, uh, yeah, they all start with my grandfather, who was uh, a character. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, those old school Croatians, you know, definitely install a lot of discipline in their families, and you know, high high patriarchy. I guess you absolutely, could say. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and out of necessity too, right? It, it was out of necessity. They, it, it was a harsh reality that, you know, most of them came over here. Many of them, uh, were, uh, unskilled and did a lot of manual labor. And even mm -hmm. if they were skilled, sometimes wherever they went to, they wouldn't recognize their, their accreditation or, or, or their, their qualifications. So, you know, you, you had to be ready to work hard. And, and I think that, that work ethic and that mindset is really the genesis of my, of my father's success. In, in the boxing world, because boxing, as you know, as anyone knows, has been around for a while. It's a very harsh way to make a living, right? So mm -hmm. every time, every time someone gets hit in the head, there's, there's damage, right? So, uh, it's, 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 it's wonderful to watch. It's, it's, it talk, it, it displays all those things that we love about, uh, a sport like courage and hard work and team, all those things. Fantastic. But it does take a, a huge, uh, toll. There's a price to pay because the, you know, my dad now, at, at 85 years old is essentially comatose. He just lies in bed without looking straight ahead, unfortunately. And he was good up till 10 years ago, but you know, the dementia kicked in and of course, brain injury from boxing, um, you know, the harsh reality is that, you know, it, it took its toll on him. So. Hmm. And I know up, you know, until 10 years ago, people were, you know, saying how surprised, how, you know, well-spoken, he was back then and it didn't seem he was, you know, suffering any of the effects that a lot of the other boxers, you know, his age were, but. Um, yes and no, Stanko. My father, and we noticed this about 10 or 12 years ago, um, if he was talking about something uh, that was deeply embedded in his memory bank, something that he had, you know, spoken to many times before, like his fight with Ali or some of his great boxing victories, some of those kinds of things, he, he could recall those. But, you know, what he had for lunch or where he put the keys or, or you know, what city we were in when we were driving in the car, all, he, he, you could hear his his short-term memory falling apart, right? So, um, I, I, and athletes are great, have great coping skills. So I think for, you know, I think he probably, um, uh, understood that about 20 years ago, he was starting to, to fade, but, you know, ego and pride and, uh, the aforementioned, uh, coping skills, uh, I think th those really assisted him in, in, you know, portraying to the people, uh, who didn't know him that intimately that he was, he was still okay. But, but boxing's a mean business. It, 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 it the, no one, no one gets out unscathed if you, if you've had a career of any, of any length or reputation. So it, it's a very mm -hmm. tough game, right? It's a hugely tough game. It is. It is. Yeah. I want, I wanted to bring up something that you mentioned about, um, you know, immigrants having to be tough and boxers having to be tough and, you know, having that common relationship there. And I wanted to point out, I don't know if you know, Stipe Miocic, the I, UFC. I, I, yeah, I know a little bit of him. I don't follow the UFC, but I certainly know of him for sure. Yeah. For, for him, they often um, refer to his, what they call immigrant mentality as sort of, wow. you know, paying tribute to like his toughness and his, you know, work ethic. And that sort of, you know, hit home when you started talking about that. Like, yeah, you know, as an immigrant, as a Croatian immigrant going to another country, you know, having to start a new life, you know, that's definitely a mentality that you have to have. Absolutely. You know, sort of on that note, was your father and, you know, your grandparents involved in a, the Croatian community over there at all? Was there one? Yeah, well, yeah, in Toronto, for sure, in the west end of Toronto, there's actually the Croatian church just off of uh, uh, Dufferin Street. Uh, was was a hub for you know all the, the weddings things of that you know weddings funerals uh, uh, all all the things that that happen um, 
that involve the Croatian community. There's actually, it's actually called Croatia Street now. Uh, so yeah, very, uh, my father, uh, recalled, you know, great times he had when he was a young person in the, in the, uh, Croatian community. And, um, but, uh, my father married a, a Canadian woman. My mother was, you know, fifth or sixth generation Canadian. So when that happened, um, I would say that there was not, not a split or, or, but, but just, it, he was, uh, he wasn't so uh, tightly connected to the Croatian community. He kind of filtered into the Canadian community at large a little more, right? So, and that's that's even representative with my not being able to speak any any Croatian, right? So, um, I'll tell you a neat little story about my grandmother, who I love very dearly. She died when I was ten or eleven years old of of cancer, unfortunately. Uh, and I think a lot of you know we we talked when you told me. Uh, asked me to come on I said I don't speak much Croatian and he you said that's okay it's for the diaspora it's all going to be in English but I remember being um, nine or ten years old and going with my grandmother to uh, the local uh, grocery uh, store and coming back with groceries and uh, um, I didn't know she was sick at the time she she would die a year later of cancer anyway this story's gonna <coughs> shake me up a little bit <coughs> I uh, I was running with groceries up to her house, and she said to me, "Odvori vrata, sina. Open the door, son." Right now, I couldn't speak Croatian at all, really, but I understood what she said, and I opened. <laughs> I'm going to get shaken up here. I opened the door, and. I always remember <clears throat> the gleam in her eye <laughs> that I could understand what she said. Mm. So lang language being so important to making that connection to community, right? I never had that, but I'll always have that beautiful <clears throat> memory of my grandmother that way and that we could connect for that one instant. And then <clears throat> a year later, she was gone. So <sighs> sorry, I got to gather myself a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, take your time. Take your time. Yeah, that's a wow, very powerful story. I know a lot of a lot of people, you know, in similar situations, myself included. You know, I, I felt like I was missing something, not knowing the Croatian language, and yes, you know, through the yes. years, yeah, I mean, through it's a natural process. You move to another country, you know, you have to assimilate to survive, even let alone you know thrive in you know those communities where they're not speaking Croatian. You have to get a job, and you know, if you're going yeah. to Canada in English. I mean, it's a natural progression, but, you know, I feel as the generations go on, you know, you always wish, oh, I wish, you know, I would have learned more Croatian from my dad or from my grandfather or... Absolutely. Yeah, you, 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 the stories, the way they're told, when you hear them in their own language, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I mean, uh, I was always fascinated by the Croatian language, uh, um, and I wish I could speak it more. I, I remember um, people coming to my grandparents' house and they would sing... Yeah, ganga, you know ganga, right? Mm, yeah. when, they, when they get together and they sing that kind of communal to get and singing stories in Croatian, and I was I was freaked out, but like, wow, what, like, what is this, right? It, it's just a way to communicate, and I was only a little kid watching this happen. I was I was I was shocked and 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 not not shocked. I was I was fascinated and somewhat scared about my you know, inability to decipher what they were talking about, but you could hear the passion when they were singing to one another. So, I mean, I mean, when my, my grandfather would always refer to himself as Croatian, my father would refer to himself as Croatian Canadian, and I would refer to myself as 
uh, a Canadian with Croatian background. So, I mean, it just uh, the, the, the sequencing it kind of speaks to what happens to the generations when they come to a new country. Right. And yeah. of course, like I, like I said earlier, um, um, my, uh, mother was uh, Canadian, fifth generation Canadian. So it kind of not, didn't separate us, but it, it drew a kind of uh, uh, an uneasy line sometimes between the, the Croatian and Canadian uh, experience. And um, uh, that's why I, I welcome the opportunity to talk to you because it's, it's you know, you get you get to go back and, and, and think about those things a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to get into your dad's, you know, boxing career a little bit at this point. Uh, I was going to ask, you know, sort of the genesis of that. And it sounds like, you know, it came from your grandfather, at least the oh, the yeah. mental part of that. Was there was there maybe a certain point that, you know, your father decided, OK, I want to be a, a boxer? How did that sort of how did that process happen? I, well, um, he my father recalls uh, in the west end of the junction, uh, the west end of Toronto is called the junction where that where that where the. Uh, abattoir that I spoke of earlier was located. My, my grandparents' home, uh, my dad's home, was not far from it. Um, my father recalls uh, going to a place called Morgan's Cigar Store on Dundas Street, West in Toronto, and those people who know Toronto will know, know where I'm talking about, uh, and uh, seeing a picture of the, the great heavyweight champion uh, Joe Lewis on the cover of Ring Magazine. And my dad looked at it. Now, he, he'd been going to the fights with his dad. And he said, and he wanted, he expressed interest in doing that, regardless of what, what his dad said to him about not being tough enough. And um, saw a picture of Joe Lewis on the cover of Ring Magazine and said, to him, man, that's for me. You know, athletes with muscles. It was kind of like, you know, uh, that's what he wanted to do. And um, he, he, uh, pestered his mom, my grandmother, to get him a set of boxing gloves for almost a year. She eventually did. And uh, when he got those gloves, uh, he went to um, uh, a church. There was a church basement um, a couple miles away from where they lived. And they had a bo- there was a priest there who had a boxing club. And uh, they shut that down eventually. And then uh, my father waited for a couple of years, got into adolescence, I think early adolescence, and then started going to um, the Earl's Court Boxing Club in the West End of Toronto, where he started actually being trained by individuals there. And my dad was apparently quite the physical specimen as a young man. I mean, at, at 14, I think he, he weighed almost 200 pounds. So wow. he, he, got, he got very uh, strong, very fast. He recalls doing all kinds of calisthenics late into the night, you know, mom, sister, and dad, shut up. You're making too much noise. Quit doing those push-ups or whatever you're doing, you know. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, he, he was obviously obsessed early on. And I think that's a trait of any good athlete to whatever um, motivates you to be obsessive and um, uh, rose to prominence as, as an amateur. Uh, at 17, he became the amateur championship champion of Canada, the heavyweight champion of Canada. After 16 fights, there were no more amateurs to um, uh, fight. And uh, he was chosen to go to the 1956 Olympics in Melbourne and uh, opted not to because, of, you know, he needed money, right? Uh, he needed to make some money. He, dro- he dropped out of high school in Toronto. Now, as I- I'm a teacher 
And I, I used to tell my dad, um, dad, you know, you have two honorary. He went to St. Mike's High School in Toronto, which was a school that produced a lot of athletes, uh, quit and, and uh, uh, worked in the abattoir for a while, then went back to uh, Humberside Collegiate in Toronto. Now, he's got an honorary uh, high school diploma from both of those schools, <laughs> even though he didn't graduate high school. I said, Dad, how did you get that? You got two on, you, you, you uh, gained the system somehow. You got two, you got two. <laughs> but but um, uh, he, I, I wish he would have gone to the Olympics because I think he would have had uh, worldwide exposure, but he opted not, he opted to turn pro. And uh, not long after that, 18 or 19, 19 years old, I think he was the heavyweight champion in the pro ranks in Canada. So wow. we're talking, you know, 19, 1957, 58, he, he was a young uh, uh, Canadian champion. And, and uh, uh, that was, the notoriety was good, but uh, they rushed him very quickly. He had, he had a manager and a trainer who were older, getting old, and, and they didn't know how many years they had left. And they, my, my dad's third fight he was he's fighting someone in the top 10 in, in like it was it was it was bizarre it was nuts so um johnny arthur and my dad beat him but it's like it's such it was such a rush job now uh toronto uh although it had a boxing history it's not exact it's not like uh, uh i know you're from los angeles uh, it, it didn't have like uh, the boxing community in LA with a long storied history and lots of great training and sparring. It's kind of like if you want to be a a good boxer in uh, Toronto, Canada, it's kind of like being a hockey player in Brazil. I've made that analogy before. <laughs> you can do it, but it, the the route's going to be tougher, right? So because there's just there's just not that many opportunities for you to get good training. So, but but that being said. Um, my father uh, uh, did the best he could and, and until he got very dissatisfied with um, his management team and his trainers. He bought out his contract. He moved to Detroit for a while. I remember being in Detroit with him when I was very young, very rough part of town. It, it wasn't an easy uh, existence. Uh, I got hooked up with uh, Teddy McCorder, who became his trainer for the uh, majority of the, of the end of his career. That, that helped him stylistically. He got uh, better management here in Toronto from Irv Ungerman, who owned a poultry processing plant that my grandmother worked at, you know, wow. plucking, my grandmother plucked chickens for two cents a bird, you know, <laughs> so, so, so there was always that, you know, you know, hard physical labor component. And I, and I think my dad was very much, he told me when he was young, he was attracted to the, to the bright lights and, and the potential big money of uh, boxing where he didn't have to go in and punch the clock every day like his dad did, like his mom did. And uh, and rose to prominence till, you know, 1966, he fights, 65 and 66, he fights for the championship of the world, right? So um, my dad's motivation was certainly uh, monetary and and he he didn't want to be, um, he didn't want to do what his dad did for a living or his mom. So, uh, you know, boxing looked good to him. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. It, I mean, so then his, you know, rise to the heavyweight champion of Canada sounded, you know, very quick. You mentioned that the trainers were older and I guess, you know, they were rushing him. How right. long until it, sort of his international career took off? Um, well, he's internet. My father fought his first fight in Madison Square Garden in like 19... 19- uh, 58, 59, before I was born. And he lost a decision to a, a veteran, uh, 
Pat McMurtry. And um, uh, it was obvious to him then that, you know, he wasn't ready for the international scene. So, like I said before, subsequently got rid of his manager and his trainer and, and went to Detroit. Uh, but once, 1963 and 64, that's when he really, he, he took a couple fights uh, on the short notice in uh, Kentucky and uh, New York and did super well. Uh, knocked out uh, Doug Jones in, in um, uh, 1964, knocked out or beat, um, well, I'm trying to remember the names, uh, a fighter in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, what was his name? I, it'll come to me in a second. Anyway, and then he started to get um, recognition again. You know, the new Shivalo is here and his, and his career took off and he started to get some big wins, and uh, which uh, um, culminated in his fighting the fight of the year in 1965 the ring magazine fight of the year in 1965 with floyd patterson which my dad lost a controversial decision to the former world champion floyd patterson in patterson's um hometown of uh uh new york uh my dad a lot of people thought my father won that fight but you know you're fighting the former champ in his hometown anyway fight of the year um uh, so my dad was on you know, the names of uh, any boxing aficionado's lips when it came to those who could be uh, potentially fighting for the world championship eventually, which he did in 65 against um, Ernie Terrell in Toronto. Uh, again, controversial loss. A lot of people thought he won that fight. Uh, there was supposed to be um, uh, some hanky-panky going on with uh, the mob and uh, people getting threatened and things of that crazy mm. nature but you know the, that that's what was happening back in the 60s and then uh, uh, taking the Ali fight on short notice which most casual boxing fans know him for and and fighting you know the greatest fighter uh, you know, arguably the greatest fighter of all time at his physical peak and my dad gave him one heck of a, a tough fight right so uh, yeah Muhammad won that fight but uh, went to uh, St. Michael's Hospital here in Toronto uh, urinating blood and um, Muhammad told me uh, many years later, uh, maybe 25 years later after the fight, I met him at a, at a boxing dinner in um, uh, Brockton, Massachusetts. He said, the first time I fought your father, because they fought twice, uh, the first time I fought your father, I couldn't sit down in his Kentucky accent. I'm not doing it very well. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't sit down for uh, uh, two weeks. I peed blood. Uh, for a week, but he said the worst part, no coochie coochie with the wife <laughs> for a month. <laughs> so yeah, or, you know, pe people have this, this, this mental image of my father just like sitting there, you know, people raining blows on him. But, but believe me, my father uh, could uh, dish out the punishment and, and did quite often. And he, he's got actually one of the highest knockout percentages of, of, of any fighter of his era. Like he's got 63 or 64 knockouts out of his 72 wins. So, um, hmm. you know, if, if my, my dad uh, had a great knockout record, he wasn't just a guy who just took punishment. He, he was a great world-class fighter. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that um, he took that fight on short notice. It was, I think, 17 days I read, right? Right, right. There, there's a whole history to that. And those people who know Muhammad Ali's story a little bit uh, will be familiar with this. He, um, Muhammad Ali uh, had declared uh, that he did not want to fight in Vietnam, that he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. He actually changed it twice. He changed Cassius Clay to Cassius X because of his friend Malcolm X. Then he had a, 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 a falling out with Malcolm X. Uh, and then he changed his name to uh, Muhammad Ali. Well, Elijah Muhammad, his, his spiritual 
um, uh, leader did, uh, gave him that name. So uh, then he declared that he wasn't going to fight in uh, Vietnam. Uh, he he was, uh, Ma- none of people don't know this about Muhammad, he was dyslexic. And um, he, uh, w- he was not even eligible for the draft because they thought that, can you believe it? Can you believe it? They didn't think Muhammad Ali was smart enough. But they reclassified him because uh, apparently um, uh, a lot of uh, black Americans were not um, volunteering for the draft, right? They did, or not, vol- not volunteering for the army. So they, they were getting drafted and conscripted. And they wanted Muhammad to be a symbolic a person like Joe Lewis was in the Second World War, just go there and entertain mm. the troops. But but Muhammad, you know, he, he danced to a different drummer and he thought the United States shouldn't be there in, in Vietnam and uh, said that, you know, he had no quarrel with the Viet Cong and he wasn't going to go. So um, the, the box, he was going to fight Ernie Terrell in Chicago and the Chicago uh, Athletic Commission said, uh, you know, you have to... Uh, uh, take back your unpatriotic remarks. He goes, I'm not, not, those aren't unpatriotic. They're true. We shouldn't be in, in Vietnam at all. And they, then they then reclassified him from 1Y to 1A, making him eligible, you know, hmm. uh, for the draft. So the fight with Ernie Terrell, who was the number one contender at the time, the guy who uh, had a, a contentious victory over my dad the year before, uh, in order to uh, get the fight, um, uh, off the ground, they went to try to do it in Montreal, and and uh, the American there, there was a World's Fair in Montreal in 1967. This was 1966, mind you, and uh, uh, the American Legion said, "Well, if Terrell and Ali fight in in Montreal, then uh, the American Legion is going to ask Americans to boycott the 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 World's Fair, which would which would have or, or Expo 67, which was." A, uh, the equivalent of a World's Fair. So that would have hurt Montreal economically. So uh, the mayor of Montreal said, we're not going to have this fight in Montreal. So they, they're scrambling. The The famous boxing promoter, Bob Aaron, this was his first uh, boxing promotion. They were scrambling. So they, they phoned uh, the people in Toronto, uh, those people who ran Maple Leaf Gardens, which was the venue in Toronto at the time. And they said, would you be willing to have... Uh, uh, have Ali fight there. Uh, who would he fight? George Chavalo, George Uedechuvalo. So um, that my father gets the call. Do you want to fight Muhammad Ali in 17 days? And um, he says, sure, but let me check with my wife first. So he phoned up my mom, apparently. He tells his story so beautifully, better than I do. And he says, uh, Linny, honey, my mother's name was Lynn. Linny, honey, wh- what are we doing in the next 17 days? Now, my mom's got, my mom's got four boys at the time. You know, my mother had me... Four days after she turned 16, she had four boys by the time she was 20. So she's like, wow. I don't know what I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing in 17 days. Why are you asking me such a ridiculous question? So my dad says, uh, you know, uh, mark this on the date. You're coming to the fights. I'm fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world. So it, wow. that's the way the, that's the way the fight came off. And, and, um, I'm, I remember that really, important and seminal memories for me in terms of my dad and his career. I remember that 17 days, uh, almost, almost poetically. I, I remember his, his effort. I remember everything he did to prepare. And, um, you know, my dad was ready to fight that night. In fact, if you watch the fight with Ali, the first fight with Ali, when they, when they do the stare down before the fight, 
you watch my dad, his intense, his gaze is super intense. Uh, they try to wipe his brow and he shakes it. He's ready to go. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I'll, I'm, I, you know, all Canadians, all Croatians, people worldwide will always be uh, proud of my father's efforts that night because he, he showed, he showed, you know, what real effort in the boxing ring was all about. And, uh, you know, it, it, at one time, my father was um, somewhat miffed about people always talking about that fight because my father had other fights and other wins. Oh, if you, you went the distance with Ali, my dad would always say, no, he went the distance with me. <laughs> uh-huh. That's awesome. But, but, but as he got, as he got older, you know, he recognized that, you know, what mom, Muhammad went on to do in his career. He, Muhammad was at the height of his, his physical prowess before his license, boxing license was taken away from him. And my dad mm-hmm. gave him the, my dad gave him the toughest, the, maybe, arguably the best fighter of all time, his toughest fight in, in, in at the at time of his life when he still had great physical skills. Muhammad still had great physical skills. And mm-hmm. Muhammad said that that was, that was the toughest fight he ever had. Up to that point, of course, Muhammad went on to have many other tough fights, too many that, that caused him, you know, you know, well, they say it was Parkinson's, but I, I don't believe that. I, I believe he, he had something akin to Parkinson's, perhaps, but the boxing certainly didn't do his brain very good. And my dad gave him his, his toughest fight when he was at his physical peak. So George ended up being George. I called him George. Dad, my father, <laughs> uh, ended up being very proud of that. So. Yeah, well, I'm sure at the moment, you know, at, at that time, you know, you, no one wants to just go the distance with someone and, you know, that's the end result you're expecting or you're hoping for. But, you know, over the years, you can now appreciate, wow, that's... Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Great, great, great effort is always to be, you know, I, I, I'm a a health and phys ed teacher and, you know, as a teacher, you know, yeah, you praise the skill, you, you praise the outcome, but you also praise effort, right? Everybody recognizes effort, right? And that's when I think about what we spoke earlier, Bostanko, about the, that Croatian mindset, like not mm-hmm. going to be outworked. I, I think that's bedrock and parcel of, you know, uh, my father being Croatian, he had that embedded into him, right? And he was going to display it when, when he was, you know, up for the biggest challenge of his life, right? So. Absolutely, yeah. And to, to go um, one more quick, you know, Ali story sure. with your father. Um, I saw in an interview that you said Ali respected your dad for a specific reason, aside from his boxing. Yeah, well, you- my, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll tell that story. I, I mean... Muhammad uh, respected my father for for uh, many reasons, of course, for his for his toughness and and his you know just just he, my father was just kept coming right, but he also respected him for the fact that uh, he called him Muhammad Ali. He was my father was the first fighter of record to call him Muhammad Ali, right? And and um, I, I I I'm speculating here, right? I'm speculating, but um, I mean we're talking about the diaspora and the Croatian experience and my father's um, exposure to people who who uh, practiced uh, uh, Islam and the Muslim faith. You know, a lot of Croatians, of course, in, in Bosnia-Herzegovina converted to Islam. But there was just, you know, a recognition of uh, the fact that if that's, you know, th- there was nothing negative about that, that if the person uh, desired, if that was their faith and their belief system, that, you know, he, he was going to recognize that and acknowledge it and, and uh, support it in any way he could. And, and when you, you know, um, I, I was always proud of that when I heard about it afterwards, too, because it spoke of my father's kind of, you know, 
worldview mindset, right? It's not, it's not an either or thing. It's we're all in this crazy struggle together in life. And, and, um, after when people, boxers are retired, well, I always found this fascinating when boxers retire, uh, and they see each other at, at some kind of, um, event, they always hug each other. I mean, they try to beat the heck out of each other in the ring. And even after a fight, they come over and hug each other. So there's that recognition of common struggle. And, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, the part of the world that he came from, you know, is, is steeped in struggle that way. Right. So, um, it's, it was, it was, part of the of the world that my father's family came from croatia and all, all of the you know the ethnic strife and the, and the wars that have gone on there that just that that sense of you know recognizing common struggle and having and just being able to put aside differences and recognize the beauty in, in the commonality between all people i i, I think that was um, i think muhammad recognized that when george called him muhammad ali and and he always respected him for it hmm. yeah i thought that was an interesting little you know tidbit that yeah. I didn't know about before. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, how tough your father was. He was fighting some of the toughest guys, you know, that casual fans like myself know, probably Ali, Joe Frazier, and George Foreman. You know, probably yeah. are the big three that yeah. uh, someone like myself would know, or people, you know, who may not even know or watch boxing, but, you know, of course, you know those three names. I get maybe that's a an American sort of view but yeah you know. yeah but but heavyweight boxing was essentially american during the during the 60s 70s and 80s right and mm. only only recently are we seeing the prominence of heavyweight fighters from other parts of the world but um uh yeah certainly uh, that's understandable yeah that's true uh you mentioned already mitch one of the memories of your you know during your dad's boxing career about that 17 days you know watching him train what other sort of you know memories stand out from his uh career for you, um, well, well, I, I, I remember the I remember the Ali fight too, right? I was I was with my mother, in the fourth row. I always remember that and yelling and screaming for the referee to get out of the way, uh, <laughs> you know, so my father could could uh, hit him. Um, uh, memories of my dad's career, um, I, you know, but it's such a psychological like strange psychology when you watch your father fight you know i i never i believe my father was superman so i i never i never thought he could uh, be hurt but uh, you know of course he's only human and flesh and blood and of course everybody could be hurt i i, I what i really enjoyed and I've mentioned this a few times, is when we would go to places in the United States or even uh, my brother and i went to puerto rico and uh uh this was post boxing career and Puerto Rico is a crazy, a crazy boxing environment. Uh, they've had a long history of, of, of great boxers. And, um, you know, I knew my dad was a prominent fighter, uh, uh, you know, challenged for the heavyweight championship of the world. But the ovation they gave him before uh, uh, a boxing match down there when he went to do the when he was retired, went to do the commentary for TV. I just, yeah, I just, I remember that those are beautiful memories to have because, you know, we were so far from home, my brother and I, who went with him. And then just to see people from another country where they didn't even speak English, where they were speaking Spanish and just stand up and give them a huge ovation. Um, mm-hmm. I, going, going to the International Boxing Hall of Fame uh, or going to the World Council Boxing Hall of Fame in, in California and the National Boxing Hall of Fame in California and seeing people line up outside and uh, to have people 
uh, reminisce and tell a story about one of the fights they were watching with their dad or brother and what my dad did in that fight and be able to recall it and tell it to my dad and have that kind of, and my dad would stop and talk to them and that, that intimacy of shared experience just to be a party to that and watch that, that, that would, that's beautiful stuff. Right. So yeah, I, I, I love my dad and watched him fight and believed he was Superman. Um, no one, no one escapes without damage there. Um, watching my dad, you know, on YouTube, I, I, it's kind of interesting because I go back on YouTube and I watch some of the fights and, you know, I'll be watching it. It feels almost like the first time, but then there'll be something that I remember from 1967, 68, 69, uh, 70, 71, um, when I was a young man and uh, glimpses will come back to me. So it's like your memory interacts with, with the now sometimes. Uh, I remember when my dad knocked out Jerry Corey in, um, uh, 1969, he had a very bad eye, but knocked him out in the seventh round. Um, <laughs> they said, said to him, George, your eye looks pretty bad. He says, I don't care what it, what it looks like. I feel pretty good right now. And Jerry, <laughs> he knocked out Jerry Corey, who was a great fighter from California. Um, and, um, uh, Corey, uh, got hit with a left hook and then he took a knee and he stayed down after the 10 count and bounced right up. And he goes, ah. Oh, uh, I, I wasn't uh, uh, hurt. I could have gotten up easy. And my dad said, I always thought this was kind of very good in the heat of the moment. But that's what happens when you get hit with a good punch. You think it's nine, but it's really 10. So he, he had the capacity, like, I, you know, to, to say uh, say something very interesting and thoughtful and, and, and kind of cute and humorous, even even in the heat of the moment. So I, yeah, that, that's that quick thinking. To yeah, quick thinking, that. is it? Yeah, the, the, those kinds of, my dad always, I always thought my father would have been a, a really good uh, boxing commentator and he did do a couple of things in the United States but um, because it was difficult for him to get a green card down there without moving down there and uh, um, my dad always wanted to stay in Canada and, and and be around his family so he didn't do that so yeah I, I've got memory I I just I just remember my dad's workload capacity you know when he was it, it, sometimes I, I remember the training more than the than the actual fights themselves because I used to mm. go with him when he ran in, in the local parks here sprinting upstairs there's, there's a set of stairs near the uh, that I live very close to now in High Park in Toronto 97 steps my dad would run for a half an hour and in that half an hour he'd running around the park he'd stop every once in a while and do chin-ups with, uh, with arms around a branch of a tree and then when it was all done we go down to the bottom of the steps uh, and he'd sprint up and down the steps 20 times, you know, and I'd be, I'd be feeding chipmunks when my dad's working his butt off <laughs> up and down the stairs. Yeah. That kind of stuff. I love the, I love those memories. You know, I, I, I just, there was something pure about it. And I think, I think watching him train and, and, and working out like that and, uh, the joy he felt you know, just being on top of your game physically. Uh, I think that's, one of the reasons why I became a health and phys ed teacher and, and coached a lot of sport because I saw how that benefited him and how to, how it made him feel so good and uh, being on top of his game like that, you know, just mm. that, 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 that physical capability, which all goes back to what we spoke about earlier, right? Stonko, that, that work ethic, right? The, there are benefits to having a great work ethic. Right? The, the outcomes, you know, and they're, they're pretty palpable. They're, they're, they're concrete. So yeah, just watching that. I don't have that kind of work ethic, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, 
no, not compared to my grandfather and my dad. No way. No way. I'm, I'm going to be honest, man. I'm going to be honest. I like to relax a little more. <laughs> you know? Well, that's not so bad either. You know, no, no. No, you got to take a break once in a while and enjoy life, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything is different, you know, over the years from, you know, say even 100 years ago, even 50 years ago till now. I mean, it's hard to really compare with just the technological advancements and the different in the difference in you know even just how the world works and stuff i mean you can't it's hard to compare things like that um and you sort of touched just now mitch on you know the next question i wanted to ask which is you know a little bit more about you because you're now a teacher you do public speaking and you know i wanted to know a little more how did you get started you know on that path um i i had i was very fortunate um when i was a young man i had I had uh, uh, great teachers in my life, and um, when thinking of, of a career, I, after I graduated from university, I, um, I took a couple years off. Unfortunately, I had a brother die of suicide. I, I took a year off to travel the world. Very fortunate that way, thinking about life and uh, what I was going to do with my life. Um, my, fa- my father wanted me to be a lawyer because I was a philosophy major. And my mother wanted me to be a teacher because I had, uh, after I graduated, to pay off some student loans. I'd been uh, working with um, young people creating uh, youth strength and conditioning programs. And a lot of that, you know, harkened back to watching my dad and watching what he had done um, in his training. And uh, I became a teacher. Um, Listen to my mom <laughs> in that that way uh, was a good choice for me because I thought about all the great teachers I had in my life. So I became a teacher in 1988, 89, right? So um, wonderful, wonderful experience for me. I've had, you know, 34, 35 years of teaching, uh, soon to retire. Want to retire next year, hopefully. Uh, uh, congratulations. I, thank you. And, and then um, I'm going to enjoy myself. Uh, probably do a little writing, perhaps, about uh, growing up in the Chuvalo family and talking about experiences, like even we, what we're talking about today with regard to my grandfather. Like, I remember just a cute story, Stanko. Uh, you know, I'm a health and phys ed teacher, and um, I remember my grandfather sitting down and saying to me, you know, again, in his beautiful Croatian accent, he had a tough time saying uh, Mitchell, right? Or Mitch, he called me Mitchell, Mitchell. You want to live long life. You want to live a long life. I said, sure, Graham. So, like, I'm only like nine or ten at the time. Sure, I want to live a, a, a long life. You got to do these things. Number one, you got to sweat every day. I said, sweat every day, right? And uh, I'm like thinking about this now many years later. Sweat every day. You got to work hard because boost your metabolism, burns calories. It's exercise. Get your heart's, heart and lungs going. I say, oh, okay, that one makes sense to me. Second one is... You got to eat garlic every day. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, garlic. Well, you know that it, it's an antiseptic. It's good for your blood profile, right? It's good stuff. And we realized that garlic. Now, this is this is back in like 1969. He's telling me this, right? Mm-hmm. The third thing he told me was, you got to drink a little bit alcohol every day. Now, <laughs> now, now, if if for religious reasons or you have or you have, you know. Um, uh, addiction problems, of course, don't drink booze every day, but a little bit of, of alcohol every day. And we know that, you know, if, if you can control that, keep it under control, a little bit of alcohol, we know it's good for, for your stress levels. We know it's good, again, for your blood profile, for, for your hypertension. Uh, the next thing he said to me 
was you got to eat something green every day. Hmm. Now, we didn't. We're not talking about green Jello. We're talking about um, you know dark green, uh, leafy green vegetables. Uh, just think of like in, in, in Croatian cuisine, like rastika. My grandfather used to grow rastika in his backyard and make soup with it every Sunday. You know that it's like collard greens, fantastic for vitamin A, fiber, you know, just just absolutely like so good for you. Uh, and uh, the last thing he talked about which I never really understood till many years later. He said, you got to, you got to wash your feet every day vigorously. Now that didn't, you know, make much sense to me, but one I was telling this story to at a party one time and a, a doctor came up to me, um, uh, uh, a reflexologist and said, Mr. Shivalo, um, that advice is absolutely fantastic. Rubbing your feet, you massage your liver, your pancreas. And I did, I, I didn't know very little about reflexology, but that kind of, you know, wisdom um, uh, that my grandfather had gotten from his grandfather, apparently, that, that's old ancient wisdom, um, you know, got me thinking a long time ago about how to live a long and healthy life. And I think that manifested itself in my eventually becoming a health and phys ed teacher, interestingly enough, when I, when I reflect on it. So, you know, I, I've, I've got that, I've got that Croatian history in, in, in my makeup somehow too, that, and I'm, I'm glad that my grandfather pass that those that kind of you know homespun and uh wisdom on to me and 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 that I, I tell that story to kids and then i tell them i say you know look at your families look at where you came from look at your successful ancestors get three or four things from them in terms of how to live a long and healthy life and chances are you know those are good things to adhere to in terms of in terms of your value system throughout your life you know they've got your genetic coding and they have your environment involved in in in, in them so pay attention to them right Hmm. That's a very interesting point. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of things, you know, your grandparents say advice, you know, specifically you when you're younger, you kind of brush it off. And then once you get older, you kind of start to realize, you know, hey, oh, that, hey, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Grandpa and grandma were smart, right? They're they were smart people, right? And, and you know, uh, in, in my family, when I look and reflect, you know, there, there's, there, if you don't have an addiction problem, uh, you have a good chance of living a long and prosperous life. So that's what we all want to do. Right? And not only do we want a long life, we do not only do we do we, we want health inside that time frame too, right? So and that was that's what this was speaking to also, right? You know, you're you're getting a good health span and inside your lifespan. So and Gramps was on top of that, and he lived to be my grandfather lived to be you know almost ninety four years old. So he he did very well for himself, right? So. Good for him. Yeah, well, apparently that advice works then. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that's... I think so. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, yeah. I mean, I just think about it. sweat, you know, pay attention to what you're eating, you know, eat some natural food like green uh, uh, green vegetables, moderation in alcohol content, and then, and then, well, the washing of the feet, I have to do, investigate <laughs> that one a little bit more. I'll do that in retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now you have something to look forward to in retirement. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll be talking to re re reflexologists all over the world. Hey, is there any truth to this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that sounded like the most classic old school Croatian advice, you know, you'll does, get from the grandparents. But there is truth it, to it, you know. And it's it, just, doesn't it, though? 
Doesn't yeah. that? Yeah, I, I've told this to other Croatian people, and the conversation. Wow, yeah, and they just it, it goes, it just branches out. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah I know the older Croatians love their, you know, rakia, a little bit of rakia every morning, a little bit of oh, alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, I did a oh, video yeah. a couple. When was it? a couple months ago? And I went and interviewed people, you know, in Zagreb, asking, you know, do you think rakia can, you know, has healing properties? Do you think it's a, an important part of the culture? And it was just funny to see, you know, some of the older people, the one older lady I asked, do you drink rakia? And she said, oh, no. And I said, oh, no. She said, well, you know, once, maybe twice a week, you know, just when someone comes over or, you know, if I'm sick and then <laughs> starts listing all these reasons when she does drink it. And, <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah. they're big believers oh, yeah. in, you know, a little bit of alcohol can help, you know, with your health even, you know, if you're yeah, sick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. P- purify the purify the body and and the spirit, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They, they call it they call it spirits for a reason, right? So, uh, um, um, uh, what what is that great? Oh, um, oh, my memory is fading. Uh, 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 no, the plum brandy. Schlievowitz. Uh, um, Schlievowitz. Oh my goodness. Schlievowitz. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember having. A, I didn't try that till I was twenty one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you have to have a work, so strong. Oh my goodness, you have to have a work ethic to drink it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah, I still stay away from that. It's just too. It's no. not enjoyable to me. It's it hurts me. <laughs> yeah, I I always opt out when I'm with some Croatian people and they offer it two minutes. And I'm too Canadian to drink that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have your constitution. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Have you, have you ever been down there over to Croatia? Have you been, were you in um, Lubushki? I know your dad was there, what, maybe 10 years ago when they unveiled the statue. You know, he got a yeah, statue yeah, of himself yeah. there. I, I'm, I'm both sad and embarrassed to report that I have only been to um, what was then, what was then 1982, January of 1982, Yugoslavia. Uh, at that time, uh, my dad uh, got a call at the last minute to um, uh, bring over some fighters. They were, they were interestingly running a professional boxing show in 1982 in the then Yugoslavia. And uh, my dad said, well, don't pay me. Just I'm going to bring my sons. And uh, he brought, pardon me, myself and my younger brother, Jesse, uh, to, um, we flew to Belgrade. Then we went to Zagreb and then the fights were in Sarajevo. And unfortunately, I was only there for three and a half days. I didn't get the opportunity to go. I would have loved. It's on my bucket list in retirement. I have um, this this sense that I want to, you know, uh, go to the village my grandfather was born in and feel the blood in my feet connect with with the ground underneath me and feel mm-hmm. what it was like to have a little, you know, Turska Kavo in the afternoon mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe be convinced to have a glass of Shlivovitz and talk and <laughs> in, in my, in, uh, bring a relative with me who speaks better Croatian and or somebody who speaks a little English and just, you know, uh, soak up the atmosphere and feel what it was like to be, you know, one of my relatives uh, a long time ago and just just look around and just soak in the atmosphere i want to do that and and um, have promised myself that i'm going to do that before i you know leave this earth i, I want to do that for sure absolutely hmm. yeah that, i mean absolutely that's i think definitely something you should do and just hearing you talk about it you know i can sort of relate to a, to a lesser degree i think because i mean it was always a big part of my identity but now even more so you of know course, so through the yeah. years i've sort of grown in that 
um, that aspect. But yeah, it's definitely something to, I mean, you phrased it perfectly. I can't even think of how you no, said it, but you, you know, you, feel the you, ground you, under your feet. Yeah, you, you, you want to walk the steps of your ancestors, right? You want to mm-hmm. feel, you want to, you want to walk the path, the roads they walked and get a sense of what it was like to be them. It's, it's the connection piece we're all looking for, right? So, yeah, yeah when, when you do that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, I, I, I dream about it sometimes, crazily enough, right? So, and I, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a great cyclist, but I, I cycle every day for, for health and fitness. So just to get a bike and just toot around the village and, you know, the, the, you know, in, in Herzegovina, where my relatives are from, it's like it's hard scrabble land that they, they, they work the land hard and eke out a living there and just, just to go and, yeah, just, and, and just to hear the music, to hear the language, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, to hear, to hear people say, Odvorivrata, like open the door, like just, you know, Kakasi, Shtara, just, just to, just to hear that. It, it will bring back memories to me and it will probably connect me to memories I never even knew I had. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what I want to do. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm just hearing you talk about it. I'm excited for you know that to happen. Hopefully, in the next Thank couple you. of years, you know when you're yes, yeah, after I'm your retirement. And you know my my grandparents are from Velyatsi. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's only maybe five minutes from Proboy, fifteen minutes from Lubushki. So just last yeah, week, good. I was over there with some friends from LA yeah. that came out, and you know we drove through Proboy. Actually, I got lost on the only road from there to Lewishki because I was, I kept seeing signs for Proboy and I'm thinking, oh, I, I think I've gone too far. Like this can't be right. I've been driving for 15 minutes and I'm not in Lewishki yet. I just needed a little bit <laughs> further. So I turned around and never, never made it to Lewishki. I was supposed to pick my sister and aunt up at a bus station over there. But yeah, I mean, it's a small world, you know, it's, and especially over there in that Lewishki, Herzegovina area. Love to do that. And, and, and I'm not going to lie. I'll probably sneak, sneak over to Damatsi and, you know, hit an island or two, you know, because that, oh, yeah. that looks ra- rather inviting too, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should definitely. I mean, the islands are amazing. The the coast, you know, split, Dubrovnik. Yeah. So, all of Croatia, really. Zagreb is, you know, amazing. Everywhere is Istra. Istria, that's the one place that I, I need to explore a little more. I haven't been around yeah, 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 up and down the coast. I'll tell, yeah. I'll tell you a very, a very interesting story, okay? Now, this might be a little politically correct. I don't want to offend anybody. That, that's not the intention. I'm just going to tell you the story. So, so because I, I know there's like a bloodied history in that part of the world. So, in 1982, when I went with my brother and my dad, and we brought a fight over uh, a fighter over from Buffalo, New York, because they, they needed fighters. And we brought a couple, uh, two guys. Uh, but the, there was a fighter from Buffalo, New York with us. We, we, we were in um, uh, Zagreb and we went for a little lunch. So uh, in the small tavern, right? So we had some great food. I forget what we had, some kapusta or whatever. It was, it was, it was lovely. But there were these guys uh, who had obviously, this, and this was midday, they were drinking rather heavily, right? And then they broke out into song. Now, this is 1982, remember? And so they broke it into song. And I said to my dad, what are they singing about? And he said, they're singing odes to the Communist Party. I said, wow, that's kind of crazy, right? Middle of the day, drunk singing odes to the Communist Party. So my dad took a couple of pictures of them, right? And they get drunker and drunker. And my dad takes another picture of them. And then they get they start heated talk between them. And then they look at my father. Uh, and uh, they say, give me the camera because they 
they wanted the film. They want didn't want a recording of my dad taking a picture of them while they were drunk during the middle of the day and, and, and you know, not doing what they were supposed to be doing. So my dad said in, in Croatian, no, I'm not going to give you the give you the camera. And the guy opens up his his uh, jacket and he shows a gun. Mm. And my dad said, uh, my dad said, just turn the corner. I'm going to hit him and then we'll run. I, I said, Dad, you can't hit me, buddy. Everybody knows who you are. They'll, they'll, no, you can't do that. So my brother and the fighter, my dad gave him a couple of American dollars and, the, and said, go take a taxi and meet us back at the airport because our hotel was near the airport. And, and, and my dad and I said, come on with me. So the guys would start yelling and screaming. So my dad and I sprint out and we're running through the streets of Zagreb. These guys behind us yelling and screaming. And I remember running. It was like a cold January day. I don't think it was snowing. It was like cold, wet rain. And I, you know, those, those beautiful, the color of the orange slates on the top of the roofs and running through these little alleyways where these people, all this kerfuffle behind, looking at us and we're running. Anyway, they, they were drunk out of their minds. They couldn't keep up with us and we lost them. And anyway, we all, we all met back at, at, at the uh, hotel near the airport. It, so it's a bizarre story, but uh, it's one I have to tell. Yeah. And I remember some of the women who were like hanging the laundry, even though it was a wet day, they're hanging out on the, on the, on the veranda porch in the apartment and they're looking at us like what are these guys doing and we're just sprinting <laughs> sprinting down the, the, the small streets uh, yeah it was quite amazing actually wow, that's like something you'd see in a movie yeah that's like out of a, a spy movie or a caper movie yeah, yeah. right you know what I mean it was, it was nuts it was nuts I've got other stories from, from that trip too that are quite amazing you know, that, that, that's really etched deeply in, in the cinema of my mind right they're like um my, we took this kid, Kenny Northrup, to fight uh, Marion Benish, who had just lost uh, uh, an opera. He lost uh, his fight for the world title the year before. He was a strong metal, middleweight, uh, very strong Croatian fighter, Marion Benish. And um, uh, Kenny Northrup, the guy we brought over, was going to fight uh, Marion Benish. So uh, my dad says to Kenny at the weigh-in, um, I noticed something with Benish's eyes. He he's He's got a weak left eye something's wrong with his eyesight in his left eye so every time you fight him move to your right right so the fight starts and i'm working the corner with my dad all right and um uh uh kenny does really good in the first he's jabbing he's moving well right he he's moving to his right avoiding a uh, benish's big right hand because he's a he was a tremendous puncher so uh the fight's a great First round comes back to the corner. Now in the corner, you give uh, the individual water, you put Vaseline on them. So the card girls come up into the ring. And my being a young man at the time, I had to take a peek at the card girl, right? So she holds up the card for round two. Now, now, Stanko, you got to remember the mindset. I'm, I'm just a young guy from North America, <laughs> right? In, in, in Bosnia-Herzegovina, we're in Sarajevo where this fight is taking place. The card girl, beautiful gal, dressed scantily, holds up the, the, the card for round number two. And she has under air, underarm hair sticking out, right? And that, that was a European thing, right? That in, in North America, everybody said, so I start laughing. So the fighter, Kenny, looks at me and says, what are you laughing at, about? I said, look at the card girl. And he starts laughing too. 
So my dad says, what are you doing? Concentrate. Shut up. You're, you're in a fight. Right? And so, so the bell rings. We, 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 we get the stool out, all the buckets out, and Kenny goes to fight. Right? And my dad goes, move to your right. So Kenny is fighting, doing well. He makes the cardinal sin, the cardinal error of moving to his left. Benish hits him. Whack! Bone on bone. Out cold. Wow. Uh, foot twitching. The crowd erupts. My dad and I sprint into the ring. Throw water on him. Kenny, Kenny, you all right? You're all right. Get him up. Get him up. He's all dazed. He's on the canvas. He goes, uh, uh, what happened? I said, you're knocked out. He goes, no, I'm not. I go, you're knocked out. Look what you're, where you are. You're on the ring apron looking up into the lights. And it's wild. It's pandemonium in the ring. He turns at me and he says, it's your fault. You made me laugh. <laughs> so he, he blames my, he blames me for getting knocked out because he was looking at the card girl because I was laughing at her, at her, uh, underarm hair, which was a very European thing and for a North American boy, very, very funny. So yeah, that's oh, a weird, man. that's a weird story, but totally true. <laughs> <laughs> the culture shock that caused the knockout. Huh? Yeah, that's right. I should have had my head together. I should have been more culturally uh, understanding. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. <laughs> Gee, oh, I was going to ask you at the beginning of the interview if, if you had any you know funny s stories to share. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't yeah. expecting something like this. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah that, that's one for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Good, oh, good man. memory. I, I felt bad for Kenny, but it's a heck of a story yeah. years later, right? So yeah, true. And Benish was a great Benish was a great fighter. He was a great fighter. <laughs> oh, that's classic, uh, Mitch. You know, we were coming down here to the end of the interview. I, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time and you know, of course, dealing with our, our technical issue earlier. Yeah, no, but, not a problem. Uh, man, you, you've been great, and you know, I wasn't expecting you to have these sort of stories to to share and you know i wasn't sure how connected you were to you know the croatian community but it, it sounds like i mean you as well as you know of course your father and your grandfather i mean those those are some great stories about them you shared and you know about yourself thank you thank you well listen listen um you know his our family histories you know make us in part who we are right so i'm i'm always i'm always proud of my croatian heritage and uh always always will be Always will be proud of it. it it's like I said, it, it's it's part and parcel of, of, of not only your, your DNA, it's part of your mindset too. And I'm always proud of that because those are strong, tough people who came over here uh, under duress, of course, and, and they made a go of it. And I will always be proud of them. You know, as the bloodline, like I married a woman from Latin America and, you know, my children are more um, Latin American than anything else, but they'll always have that last name and they'll always have that reference point and they'll always, they'll always have that thread of, you know, Croatian history and bloodline through them that they're always to be proud of. So I thank you for the opportunity to let me talk about that. Hmm. I appreciate it, Mitch. Thank you so much. You're doing a great, you're doing, you're doing a great job. This, I love story. I love to hear people's, you know, uh, individual stories about their personal history and background. And, 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 and now I'm going to go back into, into the collection of, of, of your podcast and listen to other ones too. Thank you for the opportunity. That's it for today's episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you all enjoyed it. You can subscribe to the Patreon and check out the All Things Croatia Instagram page to stay updated. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, tips, or ideas, and make sure to tune back in to the next episode. Thanks again, and vidimo se!